according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19 and verse 15. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. We've got principles here. Uh, In fact, we're going to be linking verse 15 with verse 24 as well. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. How lazy are you when you get your hand right there in the dish, and you just can't bring yourself to bring the food up to your mouth? That's just too much to ask. And that's that's pretty lazy. And uh, you think, well, people don't really get that lazy, do they? And uh, shocking. That's right. Well, let's start with a word of prayer and ask for our Father's blessing upon our study. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your truth, rejoicing in your faithfulness and calling upon your faithfulness this hour, Father, that you would set aside distractions, that you would hedge us about and protect us. Father, bless our time in your word. Open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, We actually are going to be dealing with some interesting things this morning and things that I don't have all the answers to, so I'm going to tell you that right up front. Uh, Things that I want to do additional study on that uh, I'm not content with my understanding, at least as of now. And so there will be some future work to be doing on this because we're going to be talking about sleep and uh, the, the difference between sleep and a deep sleep. And in fact, a variety of different Hebrew expressions for sleep, and uh, some of which are clearly not natural, not normal uh, human sleep. And uh, so there's differences involved in that, and part of it actually is connected to the angelic conflict and things that happen as we interact with demons, with fallen angels and, and different, uh, different things there. And so some of it actually is a spiritual stupor that believers... Now, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. Don't get me wrong, I still teach that and believe that, con- convinced that, uh, that no born-again believer can be spirit, uh, demon-possessed. But we can um, listen to those lying voices. David listened to the voice of Satan when he numbered Israel and Saul was under demonic influence. And there's other things that we open ourselves up to. And the reason why I want to study this some more when we look at deep sleep here in a moment, that there are um, there is a spiritual sleep that we can bring upon ourselves or that God will assign to us. I think it's, uh, it's comparable to hardness of heart, which is more internal, but the, the uh, sleep, the, the stupor that he puts us under is, is an is external. It's imposed upon the person. And he actually imposed it upon the entire nation of Israel when uh, so that they would be seeing yet not seeing and having eyes they do not see, having ears they do not hear. And uh, when he puts that blindness on a person or puts them to spiritually asleep, that's that's not a good thing. So we'll uh, we'll be looking at that here in uh, in a moment. So um, did I not jot down? Here we go. I didn't write down my slide numbers. That's all right. So in a point five, we were looking at verse ten, the fitting lifestyles and social orders. The subpoints there. Point six, the slow to anger. We were de- dealing with that last week. 
Point seven, the contrast of a king's wrath and his favor. Uh, you don't want to make the king mad, okay? And there's a reason for that. You know, it's, it's interesting. The, uh, you want uh, to seek the king's favor and your benefit from that in society. You don't want the king angry. You benefit, you know, that would cause you to suffer in society. All of those things are illustrations as well because God is our king. We want to be pleasing to God. We don't want to be under the wrath of God. And so the visual aid in terms of the king being uh, angry or being pleased is, uh, is very useful in that regard as well. Point eight, we talked about these family proverbs in verses 13 and 14. A foolish son is destruction to his father and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. A house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And we talk about the issues there. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who, uh, who build it. All right, which now gets us to, and I think we've looked at all of those. Psalm 127, we looked at that. That was uh, Psalm of Solomon. All right. Oh no. Where's my point nine? Okay, my point nine is not there. I could have sworn. Oh, okay. Well then, we'll have to give you point nine verbally. Oh, that's terrible. This has to be it. This is part of technology making our lives easier. I told you there was a point nine. All right. My slide was just being lazy. All right. Laziness has been discussed several times before. This is not going to be a news flash this morning. In fact, what you're going to hear, you've heard repeatedly over and over again. We taught this in chapter 6, we taught it in chapter 10, chapter 12, 13, 15, chapter 18. So uh, at six previous occasions we've studied laziness. Do we really need to study laziness a seventh time? I mean, can we just move on and skip it? And Well, God put it in there seven times for a reason. In fact, there's about three more coming up after chapter 19. There's a total of about ten times throughout the Proverbs that it keeps hitting this concept here of laziness. This instance, however, details an active consequence produced by laziness. In fact, I call him a villain because laziness becomes personified. Uh, it actively does something. So this instance details an active consequence produced by this villain. It says, laziness casts into a deep sleep. So this makes laziness an active agent. It's the subject of the verb. The verb is cast into a deep sleep, and the subject of that verb is laziness itself. 
And so this is an intensification of anything that we've studied previously. This recognizes that when you are caught up into a sphere of laziness, that's more than just an adjective describing you. We say, well, you're lazy or well, you're whatever. We can describe people in this way, but laziness itself is a sphere. Laziness itself is 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 a thing. It's a sphere. It's a realm that we function in. And it is an active agent in Proverbs 19.15. It casts into a deep sleep. And so you then become the victim of laziness. Not only are you lazy, as an adjectival description, but then laziness itself is doing something to you. It's putting you to sleep. It's having an effect on you that uh, you would not be experiencing if you uh, spent a little bit less time in this realm called laziness. (laughs) So get out of there. And get out of there now in, uh, in all these ways. And then we're going to talk about this sleep here in a moment as we, uh, as we work our way through that. All right. Let's turn back and just get a little survey of what we've already studied. But uh, this chapter presents laziness in verse 15 and in verse 24. So we'll be handling that today. Glancing back to Proverbs chapter 6, we're told... Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. That God gives a lot of illustrations in uh, natural revelation. You can observe things in creation. And he says, ants are good to look at. Watch the ants and watch how busy they are. Watch how hard they work. And you can learn something from them. They have no chief, officer, or ruler. Well, technically they do, but you can't see that with a naked eye. So (laughs) we're fine with that. Uh, prepares her food in the summer, gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And this is a curious thing because as a rhetorical question, how long do you intend to stay lazy? You know, like asking a procrastinator, when are you going to get around to fixing that? It's just built into the fact that the lazy person is probably going to be there for a while. So the how long question almost answers itself because... um, the person you're asking is, is the sluggard. So how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And that's a verse that gets repeated a couple of times in different places in Proverbs. And it's almost like it's a, a nursery rhyme. It's almost like a little ditty that would be sung. And uh, someone that knows he should get out of bed, but he decides just to sing the, sing the nursery rhyme to himself and go back to bed. It's like a snooze alarm in the uh, in the book of Proverbs. And curious enough, look what we see in verse 11 of Proverbs 6. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond. Your need like an armed man. And this is and that verse is doing the same thing that the verse today is doing in Proverbs 19:15, it's taking these inanimate concepts and personifying them, making them active agents of the verb. So that your poverty comes in like a vagabond. The, the poverty itself is an active agent that does things, that causes you trouble, that, that uh, makes matters worse for you. Your need is like an armed man. You know, an armed man, what's that mean? That means that um, it means, uh, you do what he says. <laughs> uh, the armed man calls the shots. The armed man, uh, if you're going to resist an armed man, then you better be armed yourself. Or what are you going to do against the armed man? If the armed man tells you to do, to do something, you do it. And in this case, it's your need 
your poverty, your need. Now you're a slave to your own poverty and it's telling you what to do. And this is the end result of where your prolonged laziness has, uh, has taken you. All right, so we had things there that we dealt with way back in chapter 6. That's in the, the, uh, the childhood portion of the book of Proverbs, the parental wisdom section, where we try to, uh, we, you have to, you have to drill laziness out of the child. Proverbs chapter 10, in the first chapter of the adult capacity. Remember in Proverbs 10, it's like the book of Proverbs gets rebooted, the Proverbs of Solomon, and now it's no longer a child under the parental discipline. Now it's an adult son who stands before the Lord, either applying wisdom or not applying wisdom. Proverbs 10 and uh, verse 26. We also have an aspect here in verse 5 that we're going to see. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And it doesn't use a word for, for laziness there, but it does use a term for sleeping. And uh, we're going to be touching on the sleeping doctrine here in this morning. And so we, we can recognize that. The terms are interchangeable or simply related. The lazy person is going to be asleep. He's going to have his eyes closed. He's going to be ignoring the realities of life around him. And uh, so... You know, does the chicken come first or does the egg come first? Which is the, is it the, uh, the, the sluggard or the sleeping? And is he sleeping because he's a sluggard or is he a sluggard because he's sleeping all the time? Uh, they are related and I don't think we want to try to force it one direction or another. Uh, but also in Proverbs 10 down to verse 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. That your laziness is a problem, not just for you. The people depending on you are now hurt because of your laziness. Uh, they sent you. You've got a mission. You've got something you're trying to accomplish. Uh, there's a reason why they sent you for whatever it is they sent you to do. And, and you're being a slug. And uh, it's like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. In other words, not a pleasant thing. And they would rather not, not do this again. That's uh, a consequence to laziness. Chapter 12 and verse 24. Is it getting too warm in here yet? Uh, let me know. because I, I see who hit that thermostat earlier and I'm going to blame you. All right. Normally we have Doug back there that guards it like a bulldog, but since Doug was absent, a brave soul felt it was necessary to go fiddle with it. All right. <laughs> Proverbs 12 and verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to force labor. And in the contrast between diligence and laziness, uh, as a general rule, the diligent, the hard workers, are going to be the ones that will be calling the shots. And the uh, the lazy ones have the shots called for them, right? The, the shots get called, and, and they're really not in charge of these things because they're, they're too lazy to, to deal with it themselves. Chapter 13 and verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Again, contrast between laziness and diligence and uh, the craving that can't be satisfied. And that's the thing, when you're so lazy, you know that you've got a lack, you know you have a need, you know you don't like this lack, 
but you're too lazy to do anything about it. So you kind of expect somebody else better do something about it. And uh, no, not how God operates. That's not how He designed His plan. Chapter 15 and verse 19 was the next time we saw laziness. The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. And uh, obviously the highway is more conducive to getting places. The highway is designed to get you from point A to point B, but a uh, hedge, uh, hedgeway <laughs> or a row of hedges, what am I reading here? Verse 19, the uh, hedge of thorns, uh, that is not paving the way for you to get anywhere. That's blocking your path. That's keeping you from getting where you want to go. And uh, if you're going to have to force your way through a hedge of thorns, uh, you can probably do it, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> okay, And that's the idea of laziness. Wow, I don't want to do that. That's going to hurt. And uh, laziness says, oh, well, I'll just stay where I am because uh, busting through that hedge of thorns is too inconvenient or too painful or, um, you know, I wish somebody would do something with that hedge of thorns one day. Anyway, we can always make those kind of excuses. Finally, the most recent time we've touched upon laziness was back in chapter 18, just one chapter ago in verse 9. He who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. And this was maybe the most ferocious of all the verses that we saw because of the connection between the lazy person and the destroyer, Abaddon. The idea that it's, uh, it is self-destructive behavior. It's, 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 uh, it's a serious thing. It's more than just simply, you know, if we think of it as just a passive thing, that, well, okay, so... I'm going to be spiritually lazy if I'm going to drift in my Christian walk. Um, you know, is that really all that bad? I'm just, you know, um, I'm going through a phase. I'm going through a season now. Maybe I'm not as hungry as I was in the past, but it's not all that bad. Those are the lies we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves that laziness is okay. You know, it's just, you know, just for a little while, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms for rest. And uh, we think that we can just turn it back up again and we'll go back to the appetite we used to have. And uh, those are the lies we tell ourselves. And verses like this, I think, expose that for what it is because when you see it's the brother to him who destroys, we find actually how harmful it is. How harmful it is to be lazy. The, the destructive effects of uh, being slack in your work. Anyway, we had... Uh, quite a bit to say on that when we were teaching that in chapter 18. And so now here we are in this seventh time to reach the idea of laziness. And much like the destruction that chapter 18 was talking about, we see an active work that's accomplished here. Um, So I call him a villain, the villain of laziness. In this instance, um, there is an active consequence that this villain produces. This villain will cast you into a deep sleep. So, uh, you know, just think about that. Think about the, the, the wicked stepmother in the, all the Disney movies that puts Snow White to sleep or Sleeping Beauty to sleep or whatever. And just think of this laziness is the villain. The sphere of laziness that you've spent so much time in actively is putting you to sleep as an active agent. To me, that's, uh, that's a whole different level up there in different ways. All right. 
And we saw a similar instance in uh, chapter 6 and verse 11, as I mentioned, with uh, your poverty coming in like a vagabond, your need like an armed man. It's taking an inanimate concept, a sphere, an inanimate thing, and actually attributing an active voice to what it accomplishes, to what it does. And uh, I think we better pay attention to that because if we don't, it's going to do it anyway if we choose to stay oblivious to uh, to the issue. Proverbs 24, 34 would be another example. And I think it's repeated from our passage where we are here today. Um, yes. It's repeated from chapter 6 actually. Uh, you have the uh, the nursery rhyme, the, the, the ditty that they sing in verse 33. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then it says, your poverty will come in as a robber and your want like an armed man. So we see the active consequences that these things produce. By the way, the Word of God also is an active agent on the positive side of things. The Word of God is alive and powerful. The Word of God can dwell richly within your soul and it's supposed to dwell richly within your soul. The Word of God is a living agent, an active thing. And it will wake up and it will come alive and it will poke you and prod you and convict you and it will guard you. The Word of God will spotlight something that you wouldn't see otherwise. Because the Word of God also is spoken of as an active agent. So we recommend you stay out of the spheres of laziness and you stay in the Word of God and allow for the active agency of the Word of God to do the positive things. All right. Now what I want to deal with today, and we'll see how long this takes us, these deep sleeps, these are not natural sleeps. Such deep sleeps are not natural but forced upon those who experience them forced upon those who experience them, okay? Let's understand the difference between going to sleep yourself and having sleep put upon you. Think about that. And, and the Hebrew uses different words. There's different Hebrew words for sleep and different expressions. Now, I'll, I'll, I got the logos up and running so I can get you the Strong's numbers if you want the different terms for this. But just understand the difference between going to sleep yourself, choosing to go to sleep yourself, and then having something else put you to sleep. You know, a, a doctor and his anesthesia putting you to sleep. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, you're awake and like, wow, what happened? I had no idea what happened. And uh, I seem to have a rib missing and there's this woman here. <laughs> I think something happened while I was asleep. Okay? Normal sleep, you would wake up from something like that. <laughs> if you just went to sleep one night and then someone started cutting into your side... Uh, that would wake you up. But the forced sleep, you can't wake up from it. And, it, and, and it's, it's an interesting thing. And Scripture speaks to this. Scripture speaks to this thousands of years before, you know, I think modern medicine invented the, the, uh, the whole experience of, of anesthesiology. All right. We're going to look at these verses here shortly. Let me just pull up the... Uh, passage that we're looking at today. And even before I do that, let's just pull up a, uh, a word study guide. Bible word study. And look up the word sleep. So when you pull up a word study on sleep, the top panel is going to give you your different 
uh, Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias. Minimize that. Then your Hebrew words. Wow. That seems to be more than one. <laughs> All right. And so we got we got Sana there, and we got Yashan there, and we got uh Turdima there, and uh Shakav there. Wait, that's that's uh sounds familiar. And then Radam there. Two, three, four, that's five different words. Although really Radam is connected to Turdema there. They're linked etymologically. And here's Yashan or Yashin. Okay, well that's connected over here to Yoshin, so we can link those together. And then a whole slew of these other ones. Three, four, five, six, seven of these smaller ones here. Now if I expand all of them, we'll get a sense to be able to see what we're looking at. The uh, Sana has 21 of these 58. I'm not going to take forever doing this. I just want you to see that when you're reading the English Bible and the verb sleep comes along, that maybe there's more to it than than you wouldn't understand otherwise. All right, because there's different verbs that are used. There's different uh, emphasis that uh, that's being made in the Hebrew. And so uh, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, "Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it." He's on his way out of town. He had a vision of Jacob's ladder. He was, uh, and he wakes up from his sleep. That seems to be a normal sleep. Likewise, in uh, Genesis 31, in all of his shepherding work, he says, uh, sleep fled from his eyes. That's normal human sleep. So we can look at some more of these things. Samson was sleeping and Delilah cut his hair. Normal sleep in those cases. Yet through those uses, we get now to uh, Yoshin. we got 11 uses there. We want to look at those. We get to Tardinah. There's seven uses there. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now this is enforced upon him. Adam didn't just go to sleep one day, just tired after a long day's work and say, okay, it's bedtime now. Okay, Keep in mind, if you're the only man on the planet, who, who, who tells you it's time to go to bed anyway? <laughs> you know? You don't have a bedtime. You're, you're the only man around. But God put him to sleep. And this is what we're going to look at. This is the intensive sleep that's forced upon you. It's the involuntary sleep. Someone has put you to sleep. Other uses. Anyway, you can see the, the variety in that. So in the collection of verses that I put on this, on this particular slide, every one of these is the the kind of sleep that we have in Proverbs 19, the kind of sleep that we have in, in Genesis 2 when Adam was put to sleep and, and the woman was, was uh, the rib was taken out and the woman was fashioned and several other places that are not, it's not natural normal sleep and where it's connected with demons, look out where it's connected with angelic conflict, we realize I don't want to be asleep if this is what's really going on I want to have my eyes open. I want to have my armor on. I want to be engaged in the angelic conflict because this is what God has called for us to be. Okay? And so I think in these instances, let's take a look at some of these. Uh, We're familiar, of course, with the creation of Eve in Genesis 2. But do we stop to think how unnatural this is, how enforced it is? especially since it's the first use of sleep that we have anywhere in the Scripture. 
So he's naming the animals. There's not an animal uh, suitable to be his helper. He gives the names. God honors those names. But then when he identifies his need, he identifies the issue of being alone, God says, all right. And so he, in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And it might be that the New American Standard is specifically putting in that word deep in there just to show that this is, uh, this is not just a, a normal kind of sleep. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. He's still asleep. Even though he'd been cut into, even though a rib had been removed, even though uh, he then sews up the, uh, the, the surgical incision, and uh, he's still asleep. And then he fashions into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Apparently that's what woke him up. <laughs> now we're not told when he wakes up, but he's obviously awake in order to start talking in verse 23. So the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now in this case it turned out to be a positive. But just think about it. Think how vulnerable Adam was. What else might have happened to him while he was asleep? What else might have happened? He had no awareness. He was completely beyond uh, conscious awareness of anything that was happening to him until uh, until. I think God woke him up again and said, here you go. This is what I did while you were sleeping. So, external, not volitional, and things were done to him while he was asleep. Chapter 15. The next time this deep sleep is featured in Scripture. It's not a normal nighttime function. This is the covenant God makes with Abraham. And um, even before the sleep, this is what's curious to me. Uh, in verse 7 he says, I am the Lord God who uh, brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these to him, cut them in two, laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. Abram drove them away. Now, up to this point, it seems like it's a two-party process. God and Abraham are discussing, and they're going to make a covenant. They're going to ratify the covenant with animal sacrifices, very common in the ancient world. And Adam is upholding his part. He's obeyed God's instructions. He's prepared the animals accordingly and he's driving away uh, these uh, vultures. He's doing his part to, uh, to keep everything in place for this ritual. Then God puts him to sleep. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And this, I think, is doctrinally necessary because the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. Man can have no part in it. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to stay awake, no matter how, you know, Abraham's work in keeping the vultures away, all of that has to stop so that Abraham can learn the doctrine of what an unconditional covenant is all about. That God himself does all the work. Man contributes nothing. Zero. It's like our own salvation. What do we contribute to our salvation? Nothing whatsoever. God does all the work. 
So when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. In this deep sleep state, he's given the prophecy. I think it's interesting in this deep sleep state, he is open to communication in the spiritual dimension. And he's being given a prophecy related to the suffering of the Jewish people, their time of enslavement in Egypt. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. I think this passage gets overlooked. A lot of the atheists, a lot of the Bible critics and God-haters, they, um, they write what they write. They, they, they uh, accuse God of genocide and being a monster, a moral monster, and, and that the extermination of the Canaanite peoples is, is an example of why the, the God of the Bible is, is unacceptable to, uh, to our modern mind. And uh, the whole time they're condemning God for being genocidal, they fail to recognize that he gave them four generations to repent, that he gave them prophets, he gave them warnings, and he gave them, and even when Joshua comes in to conquer, they can flee. They don't have to stay there. And so uh, the, the conquest of Joshua is something far from genocide as they portray it. In any event, that's a side trip. Verse 17. It came about when the sun had set, it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. God himself does the work. And I believe the, uh, the oven is, is God the Son, the torch, I'm sorry, the oven is God the Father, the torch is God the Son. And they are in agreement with doing the work. The Father and Son are in agreement. And they pass between the pieces. The covenant is God himself that's going to make it happen, not Abraham. Anyway, there's a lot more doctrine there and it's connected to the deep sleep. And I find it interesting. Again, Abraham's helpless. He's laying there. He's a spectator. God is teaching him. He's communicating to him. Uh, So that means he's getting accurate information. But who else might communicate to him while he's in a deep sleep? while he's vulnerable. Could fallen angels also start talking to him? Is it conceivable that, that uh, you could listen to these dangerous voices as well? We have examples of that. There are examples of that. Just not in this chapter. All right, Judges 4 and verse 21. Joshua Judges Ruth. And so Sisera, in verse 17, Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera, said to him, turn aside, my master, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. He turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. 
He said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk, gave him a drink and she covered him. He said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is there anyone here? You shall say, no. So this is his hideout. He thinks he's safe. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly into him and drove the tent peg into his temple and it went through into the ground. Now why was she able to do this? For he was sound asleep and exhausted. This was not a normal sleep. This was imposed upon him. It's the same vocabulary we have when Yahweh put Adam to sleep, when Yahweh put Abraham to sleep. It was not a normal sleep. And so she was pretty easy to kill him. When you're under this kind of darkness, you're vulnerable. You're just laying there. Who knows what will happen to you? Maybe God will open you up and take a rib out and give you a woman, or maybe a woman's already there and she sticks a tent peg through your skull. Okay? And you've got no control because you can't wake up from this kind of sleep until God allows you to wake up. This is uh, what we see on this. 1 Samuel 26, 12. Notice um, this is a group function. More than one person is under this spell. More than one person is under the, uh, the deep sleep that comes from God. And um, it's typical. They're hiding in a cave. <laughs> and uh, here comes Saul and his men. And uh, Abishai is convinced. This is your chance. Go kill Saul. So verse 8, Abishai says to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now therefore, please let me strike him with a spear to the ground with one stroke. I will not strike him a second time. I can do this in one shot because he's just laying there. And David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt. Now it's interesting. So here's what he does. Uh, Verse 11, he says, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and go and the jug of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head and they went away, but no one saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because the sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So it's a group function. Everybody, not just the King Saul, but all of his guards, the sentries, those on duty, the whole camp is asleep. And they're able to go and take the spear and take the jug of water from his head. This is the second time something very similar to this had happened. In the previous time, David had cut off at the edge of Saul's robe and then came out to show his innocence with the, the edge of Saul's robe. A group function. How about that? Are there any groups that are put to sleep in the, uh, as expressions of God's divine discipline? Well, the nation of Israel is when they crucify the Christ. He puts them to sleep. And only a remnant, actually in the church age, a remnant of the Jewish people come to faith in Christ. Even to this day, Israel is under a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Job 4.13 
So understand what we're doing here. We're not looking at every time the word sleep shows up in the Bible. We're only looking at the intensive sleep that's featured in Proverbs 19 that's not natural. It's not normal. It comes from God or it comes from Satan, as the case may be. I think this is an interaction with humanity into the, into the uh, angelic dimension or the spiritual dimension. Job 4.13, here's Eliphaz. In verse 12 he says, Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. Isn't that interesting? He puts himself in some kind of a trance, some kind of a state. Did he put himself there or did a demon put him there? And it seems like uh, this is something he does with frequency. He does with some kind of regularity. He says in verse 14, Dread came upon me and trembling and made all my bones shake. Remember that Abraham experienced that, a great dread when he was in this kind of a, of a, of a spiritual state. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. That's not good. <laughs> okay, It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Okay, so Eliphaz, he's dabbling with demons. This isn't the Holy Spirit. This isn't God talking to him, saying go and condemn Job because he's a guilty rascal. And then listen to the lies that are coming from this demon, this fallen angel. Can mankind be just before God? (laughs) Would the Holy Spirit say that? Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust even in his servants. Against his angels he charges error. What hope does humanity have when Yahweh is so unfair to the angels? You can just hear the bitterness of Satan and the lies. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. You puny human beings are just dust creatures. The, the, the angel is mocking Eliphaz in this, in this vision, in this night vision. Between morning and evening they are broken in pieces, Unobserved, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? They die, yet without wisdom. The tent cord, like if you cut the tent cord, the whole tent collapses, right? Well, it's uh, kind of a it's a metaphor, but it's spoken of in terms of a spiritual tent cord, the, the link between your living soul and your physical body. And if that gets snapped, how do you live after that? Anyway, it's a metaphor for physical death because the, uh, the soul has been cut free. So here's a deep sleep that Eliphaz is listening to the demons. When Abraham was in this kind of deep sleep, yes, it was terrifying. Yes, it was a great dread that fell upon him. But it was still Yahweh giving a prophecy, Yahweh giving a promise. And he got to observe the oven and the torch walking through the animal pieces and entering into the covenant. This... This is something else. 
This is not God. This is Satan or a fallen angel or some some demon of some sort that is uh, giving messages to Eliphaz. Not good. Job 33.15 And I wonder how much of this happened in the Gentile stewardship? How frequently was this? when? Because they didn't have a canon. There was no Gentile Bible. There was no canon until Israel received the stewardship and Moses started to record Scripture in written form. In the Gentile stewardship there was no written Scripture. So how frequently did they dream dreams? How frequently did the prophets receive night visions? And how uh, common was it for demons and fallen angels to, uh, to also send night visions? Job 33.15 And this is now Elihu, the young man with wisdom. He says in verse 13, Why do you complain against him that he does not give an account of his doings? uh, He tells Job, he says, You're grumbling because God's not explaining himself to you. Who do you think you are? Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when sound sleep falls on men, when they slumber, in their beds. Is it interesting that God will take a normal sleep and put his prophets under a deeper sleep? What here is called a sound sleep. Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. So it seems for the Gentile prophets of their stewardship, this was how they received their content. This is how they received their doctrine. Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. That he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from his pride. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from passing over into Sheol. Anyway, it's curious. That's why I say I want to do more work on this. I think we're getting clues and glimpses into how the uh, prophets functioned in the dispensation of the Gentiles. Before Abraham, before the Jewish prophets, before the Hebrew Scriptures. That normal sleep, God would put them into the deeper sleep. And then he would open their ears and start speaking to them in this kind of night vision experience. Psalm 76, verses 5 and 6. By the way, don't try this today. (laughs) All right, dreams and visions. We have a complete canon. We're not in the revelation period of the church age. Now that was the apostolic age when God revealed the New Testament. Our canon is closed. Revelation is complete. If you're hearing visions in the night, um, that's, that's a different issue, all right? We've got to pray for that. You need to lay off the queso after 10 o'clock or something. You just had a bad dish of salsa or something. Psalm 78. No, Psalm 76. Verses 5 and 6. You, uh, verse 4 says, and this is Asaph sings this and composes this after a great deliverance of Israel. I believe it was when the angel of the Lord flew over and killed 186,000 Assyrians in a single night. How do you kill that many in a single night? You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They sank into sleep. And none of the warriors could use his hands. 
and your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse, were cast into deep sleep. Not just the humans, they're, uh, they're horses as well. You, even you, are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry. That's not a normal sleep. It's afflicting the armies and it's afflicting their, uh, their horses. Proverbs 10.5. We mentioned that already. We were in Proverbs 10 a little bit ago with the laziness. But now that we have a better appreciation for what this kind of sleep is all about, he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Now I want to go back and examine this and say, wait a minute, is this a normal sleep? Is this one of those deeper sleeps that Yahweh imposes? Is this divine discipline upon the sluggard who is now spiritually asleep? Is there much more to this than just simply um, laziness versus uh, diligence? 19.15 is our proverb today. Isaiah 29.10 How's everybody doing? You're still with me? I was afraid I might have put you to sleep. All right. Isaiah 29.10 And um, Woe, O Ariel. Ariel, the city where David once camped. You know, Ariel means lion. Ariel is a poetic name for Jerusalem. And yet, um, when he's pronouncing woe, it's how sad, how tragic. Something that should be great is instead coming under God's discipline. And uh, verse 8 says, It will be uh, as when a hungry man dreams, behold, he is eating, but when he awakes, his hunger is not satisfied. Or when a thirsty man dreams, behold, he is drinking, but when he awakes, behold, he is still faint. His thirst is not quenched. Thus the multitude of all the nations will be who wage war against Mount Zion. Verse 9, Be delayed and wait. Blind yourselves and be blind. They become drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. This is the national deep sleep that he puts Israel under. He's removing prophet from them. He's removing seer from them. He is totally, he's giving them what we'd call radio silence in the military, (laughs) right? Everything's going dark. Radio silence to the prophets and the seers means, uh, you know, Israel is losing their unique status as the covenant nation before the Lord. And and they're in this uh, stupor. Drunk but not with wine, staggering but not with strong drink. So spiritual drunkenness, a spiritual stupor in this kind of uh, sleep of, of God's judgment. Daniel experiences it a couple times. Daniel 8.18. Daniel... He sees a vision of a ram and a goat and a little horn and he 
Besides, he's going to start answering, asking questions. And uh, verse 18, while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand upright. So in all of these cases, this is not normal sleep. Something external to you has placed you into this sleeping uh, state. Into, and if we want to call it unconsciousness, like an like a, a anesthesiology for surgery or whatever, that might be a useful illustration. But I think it's in the spiritual dynamic. I think this is far more than anesthesiology. This is a spiritual sleep that's taking a, you know, the soul spirit who should be aware of the physical universe around us and having that awareness ended, just going dark. Being so plunged into the spirit dimension that we don't even see the physical universe around us. How terrifying is that? But then the angel's going to touch him and wake him back up again to communicate. Chapter 10 and verse 9. I heard the sound of his words, but as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. That couldn't be comfortable. And yet it's not normal sleep. It's not normal sleep. And what do you think Jonah was doing when the wind and the waves were were thrashing around everywhere? The sailors can't believe he's asleep. None of them could sleep through any of this. And they're experienced sailors. They became afraid. Every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the winds are blowing, the waves are rocking. He's in the cargo hold and there's a bunch of work going on. All the sailors, they're shouting, they're running down there, they're grabbing the cargo, they're hauling it up above decks. How quietly do you think they were doing that? <laughs> right? And they're hauling all the cargo above decks, they're throwing it over, they're going back down, they're getting more. They're emptying everything they can out of the hold and none of that wakes them up. All the, uh, the noise of the, the sailors down in the hold. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you were sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Anyway, these sleeps are not natural. And uh, to me, I think this is a serious warning that uh, beyond physical laziness, beyond temporal life laziness, which is going to have economic consequences and so forth, spiritual laziness and the hand of God's discipline taking a spiritual slug and putting a... Uh, a, a, an imposed sleep upon the person. And then we wonder about this. We pray for folks and, and, and they've, they've not been under teaching and they've been away and, and we wonder, well, why don't they ever come back? And they've got to be hungry. How come they're not hungry? Well, you know, when are they going to get back under teaching again? Boy, I remember when they used to be just under teaching constantly. When the doors were open, they were there and they were serving and they were... And now it's been so long and we think, well, they've got to be starving. They've got to be hungry. Why don't they come back? Well, maybe they're asleep. Maybe this enforced sleep has been placed upon them as the discipline of the Lord. And what's it going to take to wake them up from that? See, maybe we're not praying for them enough in, uh, in different capacities there. I don't know. Like I say, I got more questions than answers at this point related to uh, 
related to these things. All right. Next week we'll look at verse 16. He who keeps his, the commandments keeps his soul, guards his soul. But he who is careless of conduct will die. Spiritual benefits by living the Word of God and spiritual consequences for uh, ignoring what God commands. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the Word of God. And I pray that we stay on the alert, that we not fall asleep. We're commanded to be on the alert. We're commanded to be in our armor, up on the wall in prayer. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we look at these sleeping passages, we don't want to be in these positions of judgment. We don't want to be in these positions where we start listening to demon voices and all their nasty whisperings. Father, we simply want to stay humble before you to keep our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for, uh, for showing us what you have for us today. Might we live it for your good pleasure. Might we live it for the glory of your Son. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.